When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome to another episode of THN on the O. As always, I am your beautiful bald draft analyst, Tony Ferrari, joined by my equally beautiful and equally bald partner, Brock Otten. How you doing there, buddy? Good, Tony. How you doing, man? Not too bad. It's good, good to be back in the chair this week talking to you again. Let's start with our three stars as we always do. And first star of the week was Nolan Burke with five goals, three assists for eight points in three games. What did you like about his game this week? Yeah, he's just had a really, really good year. He took a step forward last year, and this year he's taken that even further step. And I think the biggest difference would be improvements to his skating. He's just quicker, more explosive, more powerful. And it's allowing him to be quicker to some of those gaps. He's got good hands and a good shot, and we're seeing that goal-scoring ability being taken to that next level, and that's part of why Nashville signed him earlier this year. We're going to kind of talk about some of that, uh, some OA signings, or potential signings later in the show. So I think it's it's kind of fitting that uh, Mr. Nolan Burke is our number one star of the week since he's the only OA to earn an ELC so far this year. Yeah, it's, it's going to be OA heavy feature this week. So it's uh, fun to see a guy like that kick off our three stars. Moving on to our second star is another OA and one guy that we're going to talk about a little bit later, Evan Veerling with six goals, two assists, eight points in three games. This is a guy that's generally a playmaker, but his goal scoring has come a long way. Yeah, I think he... Didn't have the best year last year. He, he really didn't. And that's why New York elected not to sign him. Went back in the draft, went unselected, returned to Barry for his OA year and has had a really, really good year. I think he just looks a lot more confident, a lot more decisive. Coming into the league uh, as a high draft pick, there was sort of an expectation that he would develop into not a power forward, but somebody who can play a power game and, and be a, a really good goal scorer and somebody who has a really good all around offensive game. And I think that we haven't really seen him take that next step until I would say the last like two or three months. He's really um, elevated his play and Barry has improved in the standings. Obviously, Brant Clark coming back has been a big part of that. But the improvements made by a guy like Veerling, who needs to be that on ice leader up front, um, you know, it's been a difference maker for them. Yeah, Veerling has been a guy that everyone's. Always, there's always these moments where you find flashes of his game and you're like, that's why he was drafted originally by the New York Rangers. And like you said, there's been some inconsistency, inconsistency in his play, some up and down streaks some flashes of brilliance and flashes of absolutely dull play, but in, which led to him being unsigned. But he's been really good as a player, like you said. He's going to be really interesting. We'll dive into his game a little bit more later. And as for another player that we're going to dive into later when we have Greg Ballack from the Sportsnet 650 studios on to talk about goalies, Tristan Lennox had a good week in his own right. Three three wins, two goals against average on a 926 save percentage. What would you like about the Saginaw goalies game? Yeah, I mean, great week. And it's great to see Tristan Lennox playing well. It, it really is. He, you know, he lost a year with the COVID year, um, had injury plagued the year last year, and is now, I feel like, starting to turn a corner. It, it's tough. Like, he was a very highly touted prospect uh, at, the, at the goaltending position in the OHL. He was somebody that was on Hockey Canada's radar, and his development has really stalled. And I feel like COVID and injuries were uh, the main culprits of that. 
so having uh, having seen him have a great week, it, it's really exciting to me. Uh, I think he's worked really hard to get his game back on track. And um, three big victories, too, this week against people or teams that Saginaw is really trying to hold off or, or catch in the Western Conference. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to talk to Greg a little later about some of the goalies that we're going to get into. And I know Alex is going to be a guy that we discuss as well. But let's move on to the news of the week. First off, let's start off with the record-setting performance to this point in the season. Zane Parikh sets a new single-season record for goals scored by an under-17 defender with 20 on the season and counting. This is going to be a guy that I think you and I have talked about privately and on the podcast as being really, really impressive so far this year, especially now that he's taken on a bigger role with Minchikov out of the lineup. What have you liked about his game this year and what kind of expectations do you have for him going forward? Yeah, I think he's just a really, really, really smart offensive player. And I think that Saginaw's system, we saw with Minchikov, we've seen it over the last couple of years, they allow for freedoms. Uh, it's almost, I wouldn't say it's positionless, but it's its getting in that direction, right? Um, if you watch Saginaw play, some of Parekh's goals have been breakaways this year. And that's pretty rare usually for, for a defenseman. But just the way that their system or, or lack of system sort of, encourages players to take chances it's really helped a guy like Parekh blossom because he is so intelligent with the puck and he's so intelligent intelligent without the puck um his ability to to find those holes in coverage he jumps up in the play really well he leads the play really well does not look like a u17 player and he's somebody that's going to be really heavily on the nhl draft radar next year if he can continue to shore up his play in the defensive end too yeah, he's the guy that every time I watch him, especially live, you see his mobility just plays such a huge factor, including, especially when it comes to his intelligence. He understands where to get the puck, where to be in the offensive zone. Like you said, there's some defensive shortcomings that he's probably going to need to kind of round out over the next year or so as he gets to his draft year next year. But this is a really, really fun player to watch. And I remember last year when, when Minchigot was draft eligible, I used to joke that he might as well be a winger. Zane Parikh kind of has some of that same flair and system and offensive mindset in his game. I think he's has a little bit more off a defensive upside if he can round some things out, but this is a really, really fun player to watch. Yeah. And I mean, that record, that's, that's really impressive. Honestly, there have been some really good defenders to come through the OHL. Um, when you look at the other players on that list that he passed this year, guys like Ryan Ellis and Drew Doughty. And I mean, it is Aaron Eckblad. It is just uh, a list of who's who's right. Like these are star players in the NHL. Um, and they were star players in the OHL. And the fact that he has passed them and will continue to move forward, I mean, we still have um, over a dozen games left. I mean, he could he could easily get over 25. I think 30 is, is definitely pushing it, even though he's been on quite the heater. 30 is pushing it, but 25 is very realistic. And uh, that would be a very hard record to beat moving forward, I think. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be fun to, fun to see what he can do going forward. Let's get to the Canada Winter Games are underway. There's some good viewing for OHL draft uh, prospects. You can see it on the CBC app. What are you kind of looking for if you're going to catch some of these games? Yeah, for those who don't really know how the Canada Winter Games goes or, or runs for hockey, um, for the men's loop, it is U16 players. Um, so it'll be guys eligible for the OHL draft this year. Team Ontario is being led by Ryan Rubick and William Moore, who are arguably sort of like one, two in most draft rankings heading into the draft this year. And both of them have had a really good start to the tournament. Um, Team Ontario is two and one. Their only loss is an OT loss 
to Alberta. So they'll be hitting this the uh, quarterfinals coming up soon, and Rurik and, and Moore are among the leading scorers in the tournament thus far. So uh, like you said, you can watch it on uh, CB Gem or CBC Gem app, I believe. Um, I haven't watched any games yet myself, but I do definitely plan on catching a few of those on the app. Yeah, it's going to be something to, that I go back and watch kind of as we prepare for the OHL draft and everything on this podcast. But it, it has been fun to kind of look at some of the scores. I was looking at some of them with some people this morning, and there's some wild scores as some of the provinces are a little less uh, talented than some of the bigger ones like Alberta, Canada, or Alberta, Ontario, BC. So it's a, always a fun tournament to watch and a little bit of a tough one to judge guys on, especially when they're playing those lower level teams. Yeah, but if you look at the history of the event, which only is, I believe, every four years, um, some of the best players in the NHL, some of the best players to come through the OHL in recent years have played at that tournament. Um, so definitely, if if you're one of those teams at the bottom of the OHL standings right now, you might want to tune into a game or two to, to see what might be coming your way. All right, now one of the last pieces of news we have this week is a question I have for you, and it's whether or not this player should be suspended. And it's Artem Guriev, a guy we talked about a couple weeks ago on the podcast. He's known for his physicality, and Ty Voigt scored a goal with a few seconds left in the game to make it 7-3, if I'm not mistaken, uh, as Sarnia took down Flint. And Guriev just leveled Ty Voigt behind the net against the boards, kind of as Voigt was beginning his celebration. It was a cheap shot, no doubt. It was after the play, after the whistle. What did you kind of think about the play? And do you think there'll be a suspension? He's been suspended before. Unquestionably. Um, like you said, repeat offender, totally uncalled for play. Um, obviously, maybe there was a bit of sourness over the late goal and the insurance goal, maybe not being needed, but you have to control yourself. Um, that that play is inexcusable. And I would not be shocked to see Guri have gone for quite some time. This is something that the... OHL really takes seriously. Um, those types of cheap shots always um, have a long suspension attached to them. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, I think it's going to be quite a lengthy suspension, especially because of the repeat offender status that Guriev has. At the end of the day, it's just completely unnecessary. I think, and this is obviously the exact same thing, but I think back to a couple of years in the NA, ago in the NHL playoffs, I think it was a bubble year where uh, Montreal's forward scored an empty net goal and Mark Shifley just blew him up right as you kind of put the puck in the net kind of in the game it's just one of those things where it's like that's not necessary you don't need to do that like you want to impose yourself physically do it during the play doing it afterwards it just kind of comes off as a cheap shot and a bit of a a baby move a bit of a whiner move and something that at the end of the day it's kind of a loser mentality you don't need to do that I don't know it's just kind of a goofy play to me that you don't need to make and the end of the day Flint's probably gonna be missing a player for a little while over under seven and a half for games. I'm going to go over just because he is a repeat offender. And it, like I said, it just wasn't necessary. Like if it was right as the goal was scored, you, you don't really kind of think about it. But Void had scored, kind of went, floated backward towards the boards. Guriev had all the time in the world. So I, I think I got to go over on seven. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think it'll be somewhere between like eight and 10, if I were to guess, if I were, yeah. just to throw a number at it. Um, so our, our next segment, we're going to look at some overage free agents this year. So um, something that I do as part of my work outside of uh, doing the podcast for THN and even outside of my work at McKean's is on my uh, own personal site, OHL Prospects. It's been an annual practice that I rank the top OA free agents for 
NHL teams to sign or AHL teams to sign. Obviously, a lot of these guys are going to end up using their education package and going to the CIS. Um, but there are quite a few who do sign uh, pro contracts and work their way up. We've had some success stories from the OHL in the last few years. Uh, Barkley Goodrow, Jake Muzzin going back a few years, um, Mason Marchman. Matt Guzda was the top sort of OA free agent available last year. And he's had a really good first pro year in the AHL and the Florida farm system. So it's a great way to get free lottery tickets and, and teams do use it. Um, so Tony and I were kind of just going to go over some of the top available OA free agents. And uh, I would say number one uh, on my list anyway, was Logan Morrison. Tony, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it was pretty easy to look at a number one and go with Logan Morrison just based on his play this year. I think, like you mentioned in the article, the skating is going to be the concern, but everything he does outside of that is just so good. We've watched him excel so much in the OHL this year. He's playing at such a high level offensively. He's thinking the game so well, and he's not a guy that's going to shy away from being physical either. He's really intelligent. I've loved his game this year. It's going to be a question of where he kind of fits into an NHL lineup. He's probably going to be a bottom six guy that plays with a little bit more energy, plays with some some physicality plays with some kind of depth scoring, but what do you kind of see for his future? Yeah. The future is a bit muddy. It really is. Uh, The track record for players who don't have sort of elite bodies or, or elite size and not outstanding skating ability. He's certainly not a dynamic mover and the track record is not great for, for those types, but I'm always willing to bet on players who think the game the way that Logan Morrison does. And not just that, but he's a clutch player. I mean, you look at his performance for Hamilton in in the playoffs um, in that championship run, and he was right in the thick of it on a team full of NHL prospects and and NHL players um, like Mason McTavish, for example. Right. And I think that you and I, and many people were very surprised that he did not get drafted late last year. And I'll be even more surprised if he doesn't earn a contract. I would imagine he has a good playoffs for Ottawa. Closes out the season really well. I would be shocked if he's not top three in OHL scoring. He's currently second, I believe. Not top three. And look, maybe you sign Logan Morrison and he ends up as more of like a tweener. Um, Somebody who can't take that next step to the NHL level because there's just not a role for them because they just don't skate well enough. They're just not skilled enough. Um, to take advantage of, you know, what's up here, right? right what's in their uh, processing ability. But on the flip side, you know, if those athletic tools can continue to develop, uh, the, the comparison that I threw out on, on my article was Tyler Bozak, right? There's a guy who, um, you know, wasn't the most athletically gifted, but really thinks the game uh, at a high level. And he was another player who was signed as a, as a free agent out of the U.S. college loop, not drafted because, again, a bit of a a late bloomer. And uh, I think a team is making a mistake if they don't sign Morrison. Yeah, I I think Morrison is is a guy, like you said, he's got so many of the tools. He's lacking one obvious one, obviously, with the skating. I don't see how you don't sign him, at least to an AHL deal, right? You give this guy a shot in the AHL and he takes the long way. I think we've talked about that with a, a few drafted prospects already. And this is a guy that I think you and I both regard a little bit higher than a lot of the guys we've talked about in the Team of the Week segment going over drafted prospects. So he's certainly going to be an interesting one moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so number two uh, on the list was Avery Hayes. And he's somebody that was part of that great run that Hamilton had 
um, for that championship, just like Logan Morrison. A different kind of player, though. Avery is more of like a water bug. He is somebody that's very energetic, plays with a great motor, um, can finish, plays off. Um, really elusive, strong forward mobility. I know that's something that we don't normally say for for a forward, but he's he's not really like quick linearly, but he has really good agility and it's tough to pin down. Um, I guess the issue would be, Tony, do you see him being a potential top nine guy at the NHL level or is he kind of maybe pigeon held into that bottom six checking line role? Maybe that's where that hesitation would be for NHL teams to sign him. Yeah, I think that's the problem with him is that he has some quickness, but it's not high end. He has like a lot of his tools are good, but not great. And I think that's the big thing with him. And he is a little bit of an undersized guy. I just pulled it up now, 5'10, 174. So it's not like he's blowing any of the anything out of the water in terms of measurables, in terms of uh, just raw skills and everything. So it's going to be interesting to where he kind of lands. I think he kind of fits in that same boat as Morrison. Is he going to be a tweener because he just doesn't have the tools to get to that next level and be a skater, a, a top nine guy? Because I don't know if he's necessarily going to fit on a, a third or fourth line in terms of being that checking line forward guy like at the next level. So it's going to be interesting. I think he could find a niche as a third line scorer possibly because I do think he has the skill to kind of complement a guy that can kind of carry the line a bit more. So I think that's going to be the big thing with him. And we've seen that at the OHL level, like you mentioned in the past, going with the Hamilton Bulldogs, going to the championship last year. And now this year with Peter Ropitz, it's going to be interesting because his production hasn't really blown up yet, but he's certainly producing at a pretty high rate. Yeah, I would agree with everything you just said there, Tony. Um, So number three, we've got a big guy in North Bay, Kyle McDonald. He was somebody who uh, had a little cup of tea at the beginning of the year at the pro level trying to make the Belleville team. Um, the Ottawa Senators farm team there uh, ended up getting released, returned to North Bay, had some injuries, but when he's been on the ice, he's been one of the better scorers in the OHL this year. Big kid, not the best skater, um, but has really good hands, good shot, um, good goal scoring potential given his size and skill package. Um, would you agree with me, maybe, maybe Tony, that even though I had him third on that list of guys that are available, he might be the most likely to get an ELC? Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if he was the most likely to be getting the LC. And I think basically the biggest thing is he has the physical just makeup of, a, of an NHLer at this point in terms of size and everything like that. I think when you're 6'4", you start to attract teams. I think we look back at Curtis Douglas getting an AHL deal with the Marlies and eventually being traded after that. But there's so many things that a guy like this kind of just brings to an AHL lineup. Does his skating ability ever let him get to the NHL? That's going to be my big question. Like you said, he's been good when he's been healthy, but health has been a concern for this guy. We talked about him earlier in the year when he was one of our three stars, and our biggest concern was skating and health, and I think that's kind of still the thing moving forward. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I do think that there's a place for guys like McDonald still at the pro level. Um, even though the game is getting quicker, he can be a complementary piece with the right line mates, and uh, I do think that there'll be an organization that takes interest in him. Obviously, there already was. Obviously, Ottawa must have some interest in him, bringing him into Belleville to try to make that AHL team this year. So it'll be curious, to, or I'll be curious, and I'm sure you are, to track his story over the course of the year and, and see if he gets an ELC. Um, number four, we already talked about him earlier, and that's Evan Beerling. I, I guess the concern here is, does he have a standout quality that makes him – 
an NHL player? Like, does he fit in in a top six role? Does he fit in in a bottom six role? I think a lot of areas of his game are going to need to really take that next step. Uh, I think that he probably gets an AHL deal. Um, I think there's some pedigree there, obviously, with him being a former NHL draft pick and, and him having a really good year. I think a lot of it will depend on how Barry does this year in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think the AHL deal is probably something he gets. A weird comparison I, I saw the other day when I was watching Beerling actually was I looked at him and I thought of Alex Kerfoot, a guy that moves around a lot, has some mobility. You see him doing some stuff and you always kind of see him active in, in working. But you, you always also question, what are you accomplishing with everything that you're doing? So I think that's kind of going to be the question of, can he kind of figure out his tools to make him accomplish something at the next level and i think that's something that, that's kind of been a bit of a, an issue for alexander kerfoot at the next level i think that's something that could be an issue for evan veerling moving at the next level because he's a good skater you see flashes of really high-end playmaking ability he's got a decent shot too now that he's kind of gotten older gotten a little bit stronger for the ohl but what is he doing on a lot of plays and i think that's my question he's moving he's doing stuff but what is that stuff accomplishing yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's the profile is good, but not outstanding, right? And mm-hmm. I feel like to make the NHL level, you have to have at least one outstanding or elite skill. Um, there are guys who can make it to the NHL who are average and everything else, but have one outstanding or elite skill. And and that's where players like Veerling have to sort of find that in their development path, right? Um Number five, we've talked about him at length on this show uh, a bunch of times, and that's James Hardy. Um, He's somebody that originally we thought he would be drafted in his draft year, but there were some concerns over his off-puck play and his skating and his decision-making, sort of that trifecta. I think he's improved a lot over his OHL career. I think it's been very clear that he's focusing on improving those three areas, and I really love how – He's embraced this leadership role with Mississauga after they moved out all their veterans. And now he's playing with all these U17 and U18 players and, and trying to bring out the best in them. And, and he hasn't had any let up. There hasn't been any disappointment in his game. If anything, he's elevated it. And I think that that is something that could actually really do wonders for, for him and his outlook. Um, and, how scouts view him. I think that that's going to be a very positive um, thing for him in terms of the likelihood of him getting an AHL deal. Yeah, I actually saw him live this past weekend here in Windsor. Uh, He came with the Steelheads. And the one thing I was looking for with him was, is his skating truly improved? Because on tape, it looks like it has. It's taken a step, no pun intended, this season. And live, it popped off. Like It's not that he's this elite skater by any means now, but he's showing much more purpose. He's generating a lot more power. He's a little bit more agile on his edges. Still has a, way, a little bit of a ways to go to get to that, that upper echelon. But I think he's gotten to a point where he's at least figuring out how to get around the ice a little bit more efficiently on the skates. So I think that's a big thing for him. And like you said, that leadership role that he's taken on in Mississauga has been really good. I think this is a guy that gets a contract. I think, he, like you mentioned with Kyle McDonald, maybe even more so than some of the other guys higher up on the list. I think James Hardy is a guy that's going to get some interest from NHL teams because that shot is really, really good. He's got a high-end shot. I don't think that's ever been a question. And all the other things that were kind of a question in his draft year a couple of years ago have started to come away. So I think he's one of the more interesting guys, certainly. Yeah, I think that really means a lot to scouts. And it's something that I know I've chatted with them about. And, and that is 
a steady level of progression. And it's not, you know, progress, plateau, a little bit of progress. It's every year he's getting a little bit better. Every year he's working on some of those things that were previously viewed as limitations to his game. And I think you have to be encouraged by that, honestly. Yeah, I agree with you there. Now, Brock, we said we were going to choose another guy that was kind of a little bit off the radar, but still still someone we thought we deserved to be talking about a little bit in terms of OAs. So who's your guy? I went with Nick DeGrazia. And this is a guy that if he does turn pro and, and doesn't go to the CAS, uh, which is a possibility, um, he is one of the better skating forwards in the OHL, period. Um, and I think that there are coaches out there who look at him and say, this is a guy that I can use somehow in my lineup. I think even at the AHL level, I think that he does enough things good, um, not elite, but good, that there could be a niche for him to find as he gets stronger and continues to gain confidence. Uh, he's a guy that really did lose a lot of time, uh, development time due to COVID, right? Um, was late coming to the OHL, then COVID hit. And then it was kind of like playing catch up, right? And this year we're starting to see him play a lot better. We're starting to see him be better with, you know, being able to play with pace with the puck and, and using that, that, uh, those skating gifts or gifts, skating gifts, not gifts, uh, to create offense. And again, don't know if that's translatable to the next level, but I do know that his skating ability is, and I could see somebody taking interest in that. Yeah, I agree with you on DeGrazi's game. And my guy was Riley Piercy, a guy that doesn't have the skating ability, but he does have the size, the frame. And, and, and I think there's a lot to like in this guy. I think going back to his draft year, he was traded from Barry to Flint. And I thought he had a really good second half of the year with Flint. Uh, I'm just looking now, he had 21 points in 27 games compared to 13 and 35 in his original run with Barry. And he seemed to show a little bit more of a, a well-rounded game when he got to Flint. Finally, he was using his physicality a little bit more, using that size, six foot four, two hundred five pounds. And he's a guy that I think works really well off the boards and kind of serves in that bottom six role. I don't know if he's a guy that is ever going to have the upside to play in a top six, but if if this is a guy that plays in that fourth line role, plays in that third line role at the at the next level, I think there's a lot of utility for a guy like this because he's not one of those guys that I think would be on a fourth line has no ability to create offense. I think he does really well playmaking off the wall. He has a pretty decent shot from in tight. There's a lot to like about his game. The skating still needs to come a little bit of a ways, but he's taken big strides over the last couple of years. And like you said, with DeGrazia, he was also affected by COVID. He missed a season of hockey in 21 in 2021. And he's had two good years since then. So I think watching his progress over the last couple of years has been really interesting. And I also want to give a little bit of a shout out to Brett Brochu, an OA goalie that we've both talked about numerous times in this podcast. Really, really high-end player. And we're going to talk about him as well when we get to that goalie segment in a few minutes. All right. Now we bring in Greg Ballack from Sportsnet 650 to talk about some goalies. How are you doing today, Greg? Great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk some of the uh, OHL net miners with you. First guy we want to talk about was Brett Brochu. Um, what do you think the best part of Brochu's game is? Uh, for me, it's the way Brochu thinks the game. That was the biggest thing that stood out to me. You know, he's not a guy who's going to you know, blow you away with the, the size or the, uh, you know, the, 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 the length of his legs or anything. Cause he's not a, not a big, tall guy, but he's just, uh, the way he, he sees the game off the rush was probably the biggest thing for me. It's, uh, you know, there, there isn't one particular skill that I think stands out really above the rest in his game, which, 
some people might see that as a downside, but I just I see it as he just does everything really well. And uh, uh, for me, it's uh, it's mostly the mental side that uh, uh, is is his biggest aspect for me because uh, yeah, not many guys uh, can can play the game off the rush the way he does. Uh, with his depth, he likes to be a little bit more aggressive. I think due to his size and um, that can get him in trouble sometimes. I think you've noticed he has to make some spectacular saves every once in a while diving back. And uh, that's because he just plays so aggressively because of that size. So it's, it's a give and take with him. And uh, uh, for, from watching him though, for the most part, he, he makes the right read most of the time. So that's, uh, that's the encouraging thing with, with Brochu. Now I, I know you just recently wrote a piece for elite prospects on some of the top uh, free agents available from the CHL. I know Brochu was somebody that you focused on. Do you think there's a legitimate chance that he gets an ELC? I think so. I think, you know, you, he's already played a professional game under his belt. So they, there's clearly interest in his game there. There's uh, There are, are a few coaches that have, you know, the, his eye, their eyes have been caught by by Brochu clearly. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think he'll get a look. And I think he's, uh, like I said, the, the way he thinks the game bodes well for him at the next level. And I think that's uh, the most encouraging thing. There's obviously stuff that he can work on and improve at getting quicker and, and, and that's coming with time. But uh, for me, it's the way he plays the game is, is something that will translate nicely to the professional level. So yeah, I think there's a, you know, be, be silly for, for some pro teams to not be interested in a guy like that. Now you mentioned that there are things he can improve on. One thing he unfortunately can't improve on is his size in this case, like Brochu and other goalies around the league, how big of a deal is being under six foot two, six foot three, like so many NHL teams are looking for. Well, the biggest deal might be the fact that some NHL teams just straight up won't look at you if you're under six foot two, right? They just cross your name off that list. And that's the unfortunate side of things. But, uh, you know, I think in today's day and age, it's not as big of an issue. Uh, I think uh, it's certainly a known advantage to be a bigger goaltender, but it's not the be all and the end all. You know, there's downsides that come with being a bigger goaltender as well when you move. As a bigger goalie, your, your five hole opens up. Your the space under your arms is a lot larger than if you're a smaller, compact goalie like a Brochu. Like that's one of the things he does well is when he moves, he doesn't open up very much, right? Which with a bigger goalie, you, you get those issues. So, like I said, it's a it's an unfortunate thing that some teams just straight up won't look at guys that are under six foot two. But there's there's a ton of dynamic guys out there that slide under that radar because of that reason, and you know it makes my job exciting because I get to you know, kind of unearth some of these guys that just get straight up overlooked just because they're under six foot two. Now let's dive into one of my favorite goalies in the OHL and he hasn't had the best year this year, but how would you kind of assess Ben Goudreau's game and in, in his development this year? I think it's kind of in a tale of two seasons for him a little bit. I don't know if I want to put maybe too much stock into his last little stretch here, but I feel like he's, he's turned it around a little bit over the last little while. You know, you look over the last 10 games that he's played and, you know, I, I think I only saw only two games under 900 save percentage in that stretch. So, you know, that's pretty solid consistency from him, considering it was a pretty up and down first half, admittedly, you know, for him. So uh, it's nice to see him sort of buckle down, down the stretch here. And I think uh, just from talking to him, you know, that whole experience at the World Juniors was uh, um, just for him, maybe just, a, you know, a kick in the butt that he needed to, <laughs> to get going. And uh, uh, I think he's uh, he's definitely turned a page in the last little while in terms of his consistency, which is uh, was the biggest uh, frustration, I think, early on in his season. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the word several times, and that's consistency. What do you, what do you think the main reason for the lack of consistency has been this year? For him, it's a, it's kind of a tough, tough case. You know, it's 
a lot of the times maybe you, you work on something in the off season and and you try to transfer it to your game in the next season and it just doesn't work out for you right it's just the way goaltending goes sometimes and, and you forget sometimes that these are young kids right and, and they're still figuring things out and I think for him, it was, uh, you know, the, the skills are all there, the, the quickness and, and, you know, his, his transitions in and off the post, like he just, he does everything so well. I think for him, it was just, maybe it was a mental thing where he just w was thinking of, of playing certain situations a certain way. And it just, it wasn't working out for him. And I think down the, the last 15, 20 games, he's he maybe gone back to, to an older way of, of thinking, or maybe he's worked out some of those issues. Cause it's, it's, he, he looks very, very comfortable now that, I've seen him play in the last little bit, which you didn't see early on. Yeah. For that, like, I feel like two or three months stretch, I felt like he was guessing too much instead of just reacting to the play and trusting his instincts. I feel like he was just trying to be too far ahead of what was going on. And part of that probably is the system that he's in, you know, it's a, a team that likes to play a run and gun sort of style, you know, it's not uh, probably the easiest environment for a goalie to play in. And, you know, especially a young guy who, who's still learning the game and, and that's the, the biggest thing, you know, coming from just co coaching young goaltenders is it, just repetitions over time. You know, that's why you see goalies sort of blossom later in their careers is because it's a lot of it's just situational awareness and just seeing different types of scenarios and, and understanding how to react to them. And I think that was uh, maybe just the, the biggest realization for Goudreau this year was that he, you know, there, he still had a lot to learn in, in, in terms of his approach to the game, which was his, his biggest issue. Now, I think I know the answer to this already, but he's not currently signed by the Sharks. They'll have until the beginning of June there to give him an ELC. Do you think it's a lock that San Jose signs him? Uh, the only thing that might throw that uh, for a loop is just that the San Jose system is is pretty good. Like They have a few guys there now, especially with uh, Strauss Mann coming into the system and having a great start to his professional career. You know, they, they might look at him as a case where, you know, he was a third round pick, but do we just kind of say no to that asset and move on because we're okay at that position. I, I can see a scenario like that unfolding, <clears throat> excuse me. But I think from my personal opinion, I don't think they should do that. I think he's the kind of guy who you want to wait around and see if he can figure it out. And, and especially you want to see how those skills transfer over to professional level. So it'll be tough decision for them, but I, I ultimately think they will sign him and, and he will be a shark. Um, next guy that we have is Dominic DiVincenzis. Uh, who's been one of the better net miners in the OHL this year. What is it about his game that makes him so effective for North? Yeah, Korea? it's funny just because we were talking about uh, some of the other goaltenders in our discussion so far. He's sort of the opposite where uh, it's uh, his body needs to catch up to to the mental side of things, I think, a little bit in his game where it's uh, he's still very raw and, uh, you know, he's or, or he's got some of the, the, the mental side of the game figured out, but it's just, uh, yeah, he's just, he's a, he's a lanky kid, right? And he's... Uh, it's he's an interesting guy to watch. It's uh, it's uh, it's interesting. Now it's obviously still quite a ways away, considering it's only February right now. But do you think he has a shot at being one of Canada's World Junior goalies next year? I think he does. You know, I, I was running over some of the numbers, and and obviously the the OHL is uh, was actually the lowest save percentage from a, from a league average perspective. So you know, you don't when you, when you're looking at the Team Canada from across all the leagues in the CHL, you know, you're not. Uh, you're not exactly looking at the OHL as uh, you can see the top guy come out of that, but I think he's got a shot. You know, it's uh, it's interesting to see when you look at the the potential candidates. A lot of WHL guys make the list. The guys that I see pretty often out here in, in Vancouver, you know, uh, uh, Carson Bjarnason's one of them that I think is going to be uh, not a lock, but he's he's probably the guy that has the the highest ceiling out of the the bunch there. And Scott Ratzlaff in Seattle is another one that's 
you know, going to be a tough guy to overtake when you look. But a lot of it comes down to how the, the summer camp goes, right? And and how they progress over the next little while. It's going to be interesting to to watch how the, the teams do in the playoffs. You know, that's when a lot of scouts put a lot of stock into how a guy plays. So, yeah, I, I could see him, uh, you know, his number, numbers certainly merit an opportunity. And I think he will get it. But it's, uh, like I said, it all kind of comes down to the, what the coaches think when they, when they get him out on the ice there for the, uh, the the pre-tournament camps. Yeah. So for the last thing we wanted to ask you about is, is a cool little segment that Tony and I have been doing the last <laughs> three weeks and we've been creating our OHL Frankenstein. So we did defenders, we did wing, we did centers. So yes, Tony, Tony and I aren't the greatest goaltending experts. So we thought we would bring somebody in like yourself to do the goaltender Frankenstein for the OHL. <laughs> so we're very curious to, to hear what you've got, Greg. Yeah, so I, I kind of broke it down. I don't, I didn't know what your categories kind of were, but I, I started with head uh, and the brain, and I, I want to go with Brochu because he was a guy I was talking about earlier who just makes such great reads, you know, especially off the rush. He's a guy who just clearly thinks the game at a at a different level, and he can uh, definitely use that to his advantage at at the pro level if he gets an opportunity. So that was my choice for. Uh, the sort of the brain of the Frankenstein. And then I mixed hands and eyes together because it for me, that sort of tracking is the, the, the mixture of the two, right? The hand-eye coordination. So uh, I went with the guy, uh, Tristan Lennox, uh, the Saginaw goaltender. He's a third rounder for the Islanders. And uh, when he's on, I think he tracks better than people realize. He's got really good hands. And he's a guy that I watch for when I just... Uh, I want to see somebody that tracks the puck really well. So that's a guy that stood out to me. And then uh, for feet, I went with Ben Goudreau because I think he's just so quick. And, and the other thing for me isn't just quickness and 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 your and your skating ability. For me, it's his transitions in and off the post. Does it better than than most in the OHL? So he's he's a guy I have high up there for the feet. Uh, for the body, I had uh, Anson Thornton. Uh, simply because he's he's just a massive guy, probably the biggest legs in the entire league. He, and he's a, he's a righty too. He's a full right goaltender. So uh, my guy Mike McKenna would like that pick just to just to throw the shooters for a little extra bit of a loop. There will make him a full righty. Uh, and then I had the the added the uh, bonus of the spirit. I want the spirit of Will Cranley in there because I think that guy just has so much fight in his game, and he just you know he I love watching him play because I think. Uh, He's he's the kind of guy that I I would want in there in a in a, in a crucial game because just the way he, he you know you're going to get a battle out of him so that's there's my Frankenstein OHL goalie for you. <laughs> now I love the fact that you added the spirit in there for the goalie <laughs> in terms of like because it, it's something I I think is really underrated in goaltending and how much is that battle mentality important in in a goalie? It's it's honestly the the biggest difference maker because so much of the position is so structured and so technical and every goalie will tell you that. And, and everyone has, you know, a seemingly good foundation. It's what gets you over the top, right? It's your, your, your battle, your, your, you know, you're battling through screens, your, your ability to make the second, the third save. That's, you know, that's the difference maker for me. So I think, uh, I think over the, the course of the early two thousands, a lot of that battle was sort of coached out of goalies, which that was sort of my era coming up. And I, and I know later in my career, if you want to call it that, I had to kind of get that out of my system, right? Where it was just, you're reverting back to this technical rigidness. And, and I think lately, the last 10, 15 years, coaches have done a really good job of coaching that battle back into the game of a lot of guys. And you, you're starting to see the results of that now with these goalies that are coming up, that uh, they've got a little bit of style to them. And, and I think that's the uh, really exciting thing because people kind of, 
I don't know if they got bored with goaltending over a while, but a lot of goalies tended to look the same for, for a period there. And I think that's starting to change now again, which is uh, exciting for me as, a, as somebody that watches the position pretty thoroughly. Yeah, and I think just the fact that Canada really hasn't been developing goaltenders at the way that, or at the um, at the constant rate that they were, you know, a decade ago or two decades ago, right? It's it's more been Europe and it's been the U.S. who've been really churning out those netminers. So I think it's kind of focused Hockey Canada's attention on, on changing the way that they're addressing the position, right? Yeah, I think so. I think the yeah, I think it's a little overblown how much can Hockey Canada's behind. Like I don't I don't think it's as bad as some people make it out to be when you when you really break it down with the number of Canadian goaltenders that do make it professionally. But yeah, I think uh, I think Sweden sort of led the way there for a while, and then uh, now we're starting to see the Russian uh, you know group of goalies come through, and that was because Russia you know made a conscious decision to invest a lot in their goalies and actually hired a lot of the Swedish coaches because they saw the success they were having, and now we're seeing the fruit of that coming to bear with Shishyorkin and Dasilevsky and all these guys coming through. So it might take something like that from Hockey Canada to, you know, get the goalies really onto the next level as to what people would expect out of Canadian goaltending. All right, Greg, we really appreciate you doing this. Why don't you plug some stuff? I know you got EP and Sportsnet and all that stuff. So where can everyone find you? Yeah, you can just uh, mostly follow me on Twitter uh, at Greg Ballack. You can see my handle there. And uh, yeah, I'm on in the mornings on Sportsnet 650. If you're in the Vancouver area, you happen to be listening or you want to listen online, I'm in the mornings on Sportsnet 650. And then you can read my my goaltending takes uh, with the EP ringside. I've been doing a lot of writing there lately for their uh, prospect reviews. And they've got a the, lot of draft coverage coming up. So I'm their guy for all the goalies. And yeah, I'll be the one uh, covering them. And I've got a few stories up. My latest one is actually covering uh, a few of the free agent CHL goaltenders, one out in the WHL here, Dante Januzzi, who's an interesting prospect. And then, of course, Brochu, who we were talking about earlier. A uh, couple of exciting guys who be, could be hitting the market there uh, in the next little while. Amazing. Thanks so much, Greg. Thanks for having me on. All right. We'd like to thank Greg for coming on the show and talking about goalies with us. What did you think about his Frankenstein? I loved it, honestly. Like you said, I really like that he added that compete level component, right? Um, I really do think that is a difference maker for for goaltenders. Um, that's definitely something that I'm looking for when I'm watching goalies is, are they competing for those sight lines? Because at the NHL level, that is so important. Yes, positioning and quickness is important. But if you're not competing for pucks and competing for those second and third chance shutdowns, that is something that's going to prevent you from being an NHL netminder. Yeah, it was a really great segment to talk about goalies with somebody who has a little bit more goalie expertise than both you and I. So it was nice to have Greg on the show, and we thank him again for joining us. Uh, before we get out of here, though, I wanted to get to our Team of the Week segment, which is the Carolina Hurricanes, who have a whopping zero prospects in the OHL this week. So thank you, Carolina, for providing us with tons of content. You're wonderful, and we love you. Um, but without that further ado... We do encourage you to follow the show on any platform that you're on, whether it be Google, Spotify, uh, Apple Music, whatever it may be, because we've moved on to our own feed, the Hockey News on the O. We're no longer going to be on the Hockey News main show feed. So be sure to follow us, like, rate, review, and all that stuff. Tell us how beautiful and bald we are. We appreciate all of those comments as well. Uh, Brock, any final words before we get out of here? No, I think uh, being bald and beautiful is a great way to end the show. All right. Thank you again. And as always, this has been THL on the O. We appreciate you listening.